Well, several weeks ago, I began this uh, series, expositional series, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, subtitled, Living for the Day in Light of Tomorrow. Uh, Because of what Jesus Christ has done, the way that we live now should be influenced by what is coming. The day of days in which Christ will bring his victory total and complete and will bring a new heavens and new earth. Those days should influence our days today. And so far we've looked at the last week we saw as Paul was in a sense defending his gospel. The gospel message that he had brought. And though outsiders were accusing him of all kind of ill motives and not speaking the truth or being in error. Paul again set forth the clear work that he and the others with him, his companions had done in bringing an authentic gospel message to the people in Thessalonica. And it had revolutionary impact changing their lives. Well, today we're going to look and see how that word was received by them. How the Thessalonians received that message of Paul, that gospel message, the word of the Lord that came to them through the Apostle Paul and his companions, and now comes to us through the pages of the written Word of God, Holy Scripture. Let's read for our Scripture reading today. In chapter 2, we're going to be reading just one verse, verse 13. We looked at 10 verses last week, or 12 verses. Now we're just going to be looking at one. You say, wow, that's uh, why. Well, well, because uh, this is so pressure-packed with so much truth, we can't even begin to, uh, to expound it. And we never can get to the bottom of such a precious truth as this. But we'll, we'll dig in. So hear now the word of the Lord from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly. For this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will remain forever. Let's ask his blessing upon him. Father, once again, may now the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together, guided by your Holy Spirit, instructed by your word. And Lord, we ask that we would hear the voice of Jesus in his word. Lord, the one who can make the living dead come to life and hear with appreciation your word and your truth and transform us by it. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. A generation or so ago in Christian churches and in Certainly, homiletical circles, one of the big questions was, homiletics has to do with preaching, of course, that's, that's the, uh, the art of preaching, or the attempted art of it, uh, 
But in those circles, the question often was, what is real preaching? What is really good preaching? Well, fast forward to our time, and my friend, the question has changed for many. Not for all, praise God, and not for some of you I know that are here. But in a lot of circles, in a lot of churches, the question has changed dramatically. It is no longer what is preaching. The question now, is preaching really necessary anymore? Do we any longer need it? Is it really still important or relevant? Especially when you consider all the advances in communications that we have in our modern world. Are there not many and various ways in which the word of God and a message can be proclaimed and set forth and promulgated? Absolutely. And many of those are good. Many of those have a legitimate purpose. For instance, we could talk about song. Was your heart not stirred last week and and the anthem from the choir listening to that? Were you not instructed? Were you not given spiritual truth? Absolutely. That's important. Drama can also bring a powerful word to bear on life and acting can be something that can be used to communicate powerfully. And dialogue in which you have a conversation that's valued much in our time. And that has value too. And there's a place for that. But the, the important, all important question is, Can any of those things replace the preaching of the word of God? There are some who seem to think so. They think those things can be elevated above that. And the question that we're going to be considering today, among others, is can such other forms of communication take the primacy of preaching away. And you think about that and hold that thought. Before we go any further, since this whole message today is about the Word of God, about the Word that Paul came and proclaimed, about the Word that they heard, about the Word that is now inscripturated for us and, and given to us in the pages of Holy Scripture in which you heard this morning. Since it's about that, we need to make an important clarification. Because a lot of times, these things that I'm about to say get confused among God's people even. Let me say three words and then I want to explain them real briefly. Revelation, inspiration, and illumination. They're not all the same. And particularly those first two often get confused by people. Some people, when they... When they say revelation, what they really are talking about is inspiration or illumination in most cases. They're talking about illumination. But, But here's the difference, and it's important we understand that. Revelation is the word from God to us. That's revelation. Inspiration is the word of God recorded for us in the pages of Holy Scripture through human instruments that were led and moved along by the Holy Spirit, as we'll see. And illumination 
is how the word is understood by us. This book is unintelligible to you and to me and to anyone. The natural man cannot understand the things of God unless God's spirit has opened our eyes, given us the, and helps us with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord Jesus to hear the word of God, we will not hear it with profit. It will not be valuable to us and important to us. It will not change us. So illumination is very important. But it all begins with God's revelation that comes from him, not from man. Though it comes through, as we'll see. And it becomes recorded for us. And then we always need the Holy Spirit to help enlighten us. Now, with that in mind, Paul was thankful that the saints in Thessalonica, the Christians, the new believers, these baby believers, for had not been Christians for a long time, they had already gotten on board with the importance of God's word in their lives. They had the right spiritual attitudes toward the word. And so this morning, here's our outline. We want to consider this one verse this way. We want to look at God's word welcomed. We want to look at God's word witnessed. And God's word working. Welcomed, witnessed, and working. Put into action. Having impact. All right? Let's dig in. God's word welcomed. That's basically in verse 13a. And we also thank God constantly for this. This is what Paul's excited about. That when you received the word of God... Which you heard from us, you accepted it. Now, interestingly there, Paul's message received a double welcome. Did you hear the word received and then you heard the word accepted? They really are not that far apart. They are somewhat synonymous. Sometimes you'll see those two words, the original words in Greek, translated the same way, accepted or whatever, welcome. But there is a nuance of difference. There is a difference. The word was not just taken, received. It was not just handled or, or, or accepted in that sense by the Thessalonians. It was taken to heart. That's a big difference. Remember, Jesus would often say, be careful how you hear. Not just that you hear, but how you hear. This is the difference between hearing with the ear and hearing with the heart. The first is receiving an acceptance of passing on something from one to another. But the second one is an absolute joyous welcome of it and its truth into our lives and to have influence and have its way with us. That's the importance here. Now, Besides that important point, that this truth was welcomed by the Thessalonians, and the word of God should be welcomed by us, do you come eager? Do you come praying that God would speak to you and teach you from his word when you come? Or do you just assume you've got all the assets and all the tools to figure it out? You're smart. You've got this many degrees behind your nuclear. No. If you do that, you're a fool. I'm a fool if I think that. If I can approach this word and figure this out on my own. We cannot. It is God's word. He must illuminate it to us if we're going to understand it. 
But in addition to the importance of heartily welcoming and coming expectantly and appreciating the word, that's what this is saying. But in this particular first part of the passage, there's something else very important, a very important truth that is revealed here. And that is the importance of hearing the word of God. Not just that it is the word of God. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But of hearing it. Paul seems to be saying, this is the word that you heard. Remember, the early church didn't have a Bible like we have. The Thessalonians didn't have a, 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 an ESV or NIV, uh, leather-bound uh, or you know, cloth-bound. They didn't have probably any. It was oral at that point. They may have had copies or through, had come across copies of certain portions of the Old Testament, the rest of the New Testament. This was one of the earliest of Paul's letters, was not yet written down. It was an oral message that they heard. But it was in hearing God's word that tremendous change was taking place in their lives. How could that be? You see, reading the word we know is important. Memorizing the word is important. Part of what our whole Awana program is helping children memorize and put the word of God in their hearts and minds in memory so they can recall. Yes, all of that is important. Reading, being in the word, but hearing the word is of utmost importance then and now. Paul was stressing in hearing so much because Paul knew there's something supernatural that happens when the word of God goes forth. When the word of God is proclaimed, when God's message goes out, as we're going to see later, it will have an effect. And we pray and look for it to have an effect of blessing. When God's word is properly preached, and I'm not alone in this, I promise you. I can show you reformer after reformer, theologian after theologian that understands this truth. It seems almost blasphemous to think about it in one way. But when the word is properly, rightly preached, it is God himself that is speaking to his people through the word. In the power of the Holy Spirit. God himself speaking to his people through the word. To make sure we grasp the importance of this, you know, you, you heard me say it, but I still think that it's pretty easy to be not quite really grasp how, how vivid this is. Um, I've got a uh, passage I'm going to put on the screen for you. Uh, I think we've got back there. There we go. This is a familiar passage, Romans 10, 14. Now, read it with, or I'm going to read it to you and just follow along. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Certainly seems to, to uh, underscore the importance of preaching, doesn't it? Certainly does that. But it's even more vivid than you think. Because if you look real carefully up there, the two prepositions, the top right, or well, that side for you, uh, the top right corner, on, 
and halfway down in the middle of. You know what? Those are not there in the original. They've been inserted by translators, but they do not belong there. And you say, well, Joe, that's a pretty bold stand to be taking. Well, I'll stand on John Murray's shoulders any day. I'll stand on his shoulders. They do not belong there. They're put there to try to make sense of, but they really miss the real sense of what the text is saying. Now, listen to where I read it this time without it. How then will they call him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom, in him, whom they have not heard. Do you see the difference? It's not the preacher that's being heard. If someone is going to have a life-changing experience by the power of God's grace, it will be Jesus that will be heard. It will be God's voice that will be heard. And if it's not heard, there will be no difference made. I'm just up here flapping my gums. Up here wasting your and my time. And so is every other preacher on the planet. No matter how articulate, how great an orator they are, they can't change one iota of anybody's life. But when God speaks, and he speaks through the word, his voice is heard when it's faithfully proclaimed. Something else happens in preaching. I don't know how to explain it, but Paul understood it, and he knew it, and he knew it was supernatural. Paul did his thing, but he knew that God had to do his, or nothing was going to change. No difference was going to be made. Let me try to give you one other way to to illustrate this. Back in the uh, uh, first great awakening, there were a number of, uh, of godly preachers and brothers in Scotland, and one of those were the Erskine brothers, and there, one of the brothers was named Ebenezer. How'd you like to have that name? <laughs> Ebenezer Erskine. And Ebenezer Erskine was like a lot of those in that time. God was sending revival. And he, was, he, was, he was proclaiming the word of God in church after church. And there wasn't, this was extraordinary times. It wasn't like, I mean, people were, they were, they were going, creating services where they didn't exist before. People were going further and wider to get to places to hear the word of God. And there was this one dear lady, one sister in Christ, that one day showed up at her church, and there was, there was Ebenezer Erskine, this man that had been mightily used of God. And he stood in the pulpit, and he preached the word of God. And her heart was melted. She saw Jesus. She heard the voice of the shepherd of her soul. She was so blessed, and she said, thought to herself, oh, I've got to hear that kind of preaching again. And then she heard after the service, she heard somebody talking that Ebenezer Erskine was just going down the road about 10 miles and was going to be preaching that evening or the next day or whatever at another church. And so she thought, oh, I've got to go and hear Ebenezer Erskine preach the word of God. I was so blessed. And so she made the journey. And she got there early, anticipating, so excited, all, all pumped up to hear this amazing preacher again. And Ebenezer Erskine mounted the pulpit and he preached and the 
forth the word of God. And she was as dry as Gideon's unwedded fleece. She was cold. There was no impact. And she couldn't understand it. How could this be? And she actually went up to Ebenezer Erskine after he preached, found him and said, Mr. Erskine. Mr. Erskine, I, I don't understand. I, the other day I heard you preach and I heard you were so blessed. I was, my heart was opened. I saw, I heard God's voice. She just said, oh, it was such a blessing. But tonight, nothing. And Ebenezer Erskine wisely said to her, he said, dear lady, dear sister. He said, you came to hear Ebenezer Erskine and you heard him. You came to hear Ebenezer Erskine, dear lady. That's all you heard. You didn't hear the voice of the one who loves you and who is your shepherd and who is your savior. You were looking to an instrument. Don't do that, is what he was saying. You asked to hear Jesus' voice. I know a lot of you pray for me, and you need to. Because I can do nothing. And the only reason, if you've ever been blessed, is because Jesus has taken and spoken through his word through a very flawed, sinful instrument. And that doesn't matter who it is or how great they're supposed to be or how lowly. If he speaks, we will be changed. The word of God will have that effect in our lives. Hurrying on, God's word was witnessed also by these Thessalonians. Look at something is, that is appropriated, something is witnessed here in verses 13b. 13b, you accepted it, meaning the preaching, the, the message proclaimed, the word proclaimed by Paul and his companions. You accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of of God, what it really is, the word of God. The Thessalonians recognized that Paul's message was not of human origin, but was divine. That fact brings us to a very important question, doesn't it? Is this book of divine origin or human? Is this book divine or or human? Well, That's a little bit of a trick question, isn't it? But here's the answer, put rightly. Ultimately, ultimately, this book is the word of God, period. But, immediately, not ultimately, ultimately its origin is divine. But, instruments were used. To bring it to us. Immediately, it came through men. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, 20-21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. This is not guys making it up on the fly. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. If it's real prophecy, if it's God's word, it didn't come from the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
they were literally moved to write what they did. But not with, a, not with avoiding of their personality or their unique style. That's why the scripture doesn't all sound like it was written by the same particular personality. They're different. Paul is different from Peter. Peter's different from Paul. But they were all led and moved along and inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak and write the word that we have. You see, in saying that God's word is not the word of men, Paul does not mean to deny human involvement in its composition. But the point is of origin. Where did it come from? It didn't come from men. It came from God. The Bible presents to us through human means the very certain infallible word of God. Here's another important implication about what Paul is saying. God's word is self-authenticating. I know that's a fancy word, but that means it speaks for itself. It itself doesn't need defending. It just needs to be turned loose. You just let it go. It's a lion, Spurgeon said. You just turn it loose. It'll do what it needs to do. You don't have to try to help it out. Just turn it loose. You see, it does not, this is so important. A lot of people, again, confused, especially if they've ever seen Da Vinci Code or any other of the, of the gospel, uh, so, uh, supposed lost gospels nonsense. If it's, you've ever listened to any of that stuff, the idea is that the church decided or some council of the church or some politician like Constantine decided what's the word of God. No. It does not become, Scripture does not become the word or qualify as the word of God because the church says so. Rather, it is recognized as what it is by the church. It, are, it speaks with such power. It has such authenticity. The church can't do anything but recognize these are the very words of God. That's what the Thessalonians did. They heard it. They received it as the very word of God. It was self authenticating it was self-evident that this was not the words of men you see the first step to being transformed by the scriptures is to trust their authority and that's what the real rub is today there are a lot of people that call themselves christians but then they don't follow what the word says because it doesn't mesh with our times it doesn't mesh with what the culture's saying it doesn't mesh with the what, what is popular and what hollywood is telling us or what politicians are telling us and so we say well the word's not really i, I do believe god gave us the word but i don't it's really not sufficient it's really not authoritative or if it is i i i, I don't i don't know that i can trust it i don't know if i can follow it because it it seems out of date see, if we really believe it's the word of God, we have to stand and defend it and what it says, even if it puts us in opposition. We should do so with gentleness. We should do so with kindness. We should do so with patience and love and forbearance. But we must speak. We can love, but we must speak the truth in love. It's a challenge for the church in any age, and it certainly is in ours. Finally, God's word is working. It's not only been welcomed, it needs to be witnessed, seeing its power, its authenticity, 
being recognized and embraced, but it also is working. And that's the last part of that verse. Which is at work in you believers. They, the Thessalonians grew strong in their faith, even though they were fairly new Christians. Why? Because the word did something in them as they believed it. There's the power. That's the gospel. You have to believe it. And as you believe it, it begins to change you, not the other way around. When the word is proclaimed, it does its own work, doesn't it? Our responsibility, as I said earlier, is just to lose it and let it go. Our responsibility is to deliver it just as God gave it. There's a great quote by John MacArthur uh, that goes something like, like this. He says, using an analogy, he says, The preacher needs to remember he's not a chef. He's a waiter. He's not a chef. He's not supposed to get creative with God's word. Just bring it to the table. Serve it up. Serve it up. God does not want you, MacArthur says, to make the meal. He just wants you to deliver it to the table without messing it up. Note to Joe. (laughs) That's why you need to pray for me. You see, our job is to deliver. It's up to him to make it effective to accomplish his purpose in those who believe. There are a number of classic passages, and we don't have time to look at them now. But one of them, of course, is the passage in Isaiah. uh, Steve referred to, again, God's word this morning. Uh, We did not coordinate that, did we, Steve? But somebody did. Somebody coordinated that. And I think we know who that is. Um, About the, 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 the why the word is so important. And that word will not return to God void. Remember in Isaiah, these passages, just listen to these that speak of the work of the word in us as it's turned loose and let go. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not. God says, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing to which I send it. Also, in, Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 23, since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That word brings life when it's owned and operated by the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, another incredible, incredible passage from Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes, you're, you're, you're not, you're weak in your faith. You're not, you're, you're struggling. Listen to the word. Get under more of the word. Take in more of the word. Memorize more of the word. Listen to on audio Tapes and books, the more of the word. It'll encourage you, it'll transform you, and it'll change you with God's blessing and help. But you know what the most important work of the word is? It's to point us, not ultimately to itself, but to Jesus and the gospel. You say, how do you know that? How can you say that? Well, 
because Jesus said that twice at least. In John 5, 39, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. You become bibliolaters. You idolize the printed page instead of listening, looking for the voice of God in it. And he said, that's why you don't hear the voice of the Son of God. He had talked about that in chapter 5 earlier. He said, about those who hear the voice of the Son of God and come forth and live, that's not the resurrection. That's later in the conversation. He's talking about being transformed spiritually and born again inside out through the power of Jesus' preached word. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of me. This whole book, everything in it is about ultimately me. It finds its ultimate resolution in me. You remember, of course, when Jesus was walking after the resurrection, and he was walking in the days that he was still on earth before his ascension, which we celebrate next week, by the way, when he was walking on the road to Emmaus. Remember that folks, his, the disciples were telling, oh, you know, if we thought this thing was going so well and then it all went, oh, it all crashed and burned and, and he died and, you know, it's all over. And, and Jesus said to them, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... He took his Old Testament out and he went through it place after place. And the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. This book leads you to Jesus. It all points there and to the gospel that he brought and proclaimed and ratified and sealed with his own life, death, and now by his resurrection and his ascension. You see, the word is another way. The word of God is actually used as a substitute for the word, the gospel. In one verse, Paul says, refers to my gospel. And then before he even finishes the sentence, he says, the word of God. They're synonymous. Because of what I just said. Because of what the word ultimately leads us, all roads here lead to the Lord Jesus. My friends, remember, remember, there's a big difference in hearing the word and heeding the word. Big difference in hearing the word and heeding it. Putting feet to it. Responding to it. Following its marching orders. The Thessalonians... They got the message. And you know what? The message got them. The message took over them from the inside out. Has his message done that for you? Is it doing it for you and for me? Let's pray. Father, help us now. Lord, you know we we cannot understand the word without your help. We certainly can't teach and preach your word 
Lord, we're just a, a noisy gong and a clang cymbal at best. If that's all that happens, we need a supernatural Lord work from your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we need to hear your voice. The voice of our true shepherd calling your sheep home. Calling your sheep to faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you will continue to speak to us through your word. Let it not return void. Let it not harden us, Father, but give us ears that we may hear and receive the engrafted word with meekness. And may it yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in us for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.